Welcome to the MS Dev Show, episode number 108. This week, we talk with Liz Thralkeld about Continuum, a better speed test, is unit testing a waste, and a PC you wear as a backpack? This episode of the MS Dev Show is brought to you by Infragistics, providing tools and solutions to accelerate design, development, insights, and collaboration for any organization. This week we have Liz Thralkeld, Program Manager on the Windows Shell team working on Continuum for Phone. Welcome, Liz. Thanks. Happy to be here, guys. Yeah, so, uh, you know, before we get into Continuum, um, I did just want to mention, yeah, this was our, our highest voted or most requested episode ever. So everybody wants to hear about Continuum. So we're super excited about ta- about talking about this. And as such, if there's a topic that you want to talk to, you go to the website. We have a link to Trello where you can vote on the topics. Or if you want yeah. one added, uh, just tweet at us or send us an email. Uh, we'll get it up there. Yeah, we'll talk about whatever people want us to talk about. So just let us know. <laughs> So uh, how's it going, Carl? It is going pretty good. And I just like to re- uh, remind everybody who could be in the area to go to that conference this summer. Uh, go to thatconference.com to sign up, get a ticket, and uh, it's a blast. We'll be there. At least I will. Jason and Spirit. <laughs> Probably just Carl. I might be there virtually. Uh, we'll figure it out. But uh, we're looking to have tons of stuff to give away. So something exciting if you can make it. Awesome. So who's our Infragistics Ultimate Winner of the Week? The Infragistics Ultimate Winner this week came off of a YouTube comment from Taras Vlasov. He said, hello from Montreal. I really enjoyed the last episode with Matt Watson. Not every day one discovers such a useful tool as prefix or prefix. I've been using it almost every day this past week, and I couldn't be more happier. Thank you guys, and keep up the good work. Uh, I always really like it when people actually try out the things that – we're doing on the show. So hopefully today people uh, check out some continuum stuff. But if you want to win the Infragistics Ultimate License like Terrace did, you can uh, email us at feedback at msdevshow.com. You can comment on Facebook, YouTube, or Stitcher. We really like those five-star iTunes reviews. Yeah. Have you looked at the subscriber count lately? We have... Um People have been listening very well. They've uh, we have a lot of YouTube subscribers now. So thank you for everybody who did that. Really appreciate that. That helps boost those numbers out there. Okay, well let's get to the good stuff. Let's jump into the news here. Uh, so the first story, and I love this one. This is this is I think my favorite one of the week. So Netflix's speed test. So you know, uh, you know, probably everybody that listens to this show is familiar with like speedtest.net or I think DSL Reports has a speed test as well. And there's there's some other ones, but those are the big popular ones. The problem is, since everybody uses speed tests, if you're on like Comcast or whatever, you know, insert crummy provider here, uh, what they end up doing is they end up, you know, shaping their traffic to make those numbers look good. So basically they're like, oh, this person's running a speed test. Let's give that priority and, and make it look like they have a super, super fast connection. Uh, but then you go to watch Netflix and or YouTube or, or something like that, and it ends up throttling you and it looks terrible. So Netflix, I believe, has completely solved this problem with the Netflix speed test. So it's just you go to fast.com and it basically streams their content in the background, you know, from their servers and it tests the speed of that. So when you actually run this speed test, I mean, the only way for Comcast or one of these other providers or Charter to actually fake this test would be to actually improve your Netflix experience. Well, not necessarily. I mean, they can see that what URL it's originating from and do some stuff to gain that system. But still, yeah, they're pretty. Evil. But still, even even without that, what what I like about this is it makes it dead simple for somebody to do one of these tests. If you go to speedtest.net, you got to click on a button, and if you're trying to like get a non-technical person to do that, there's a lot of stuff flashing on those pages. This starts yeah. right away as you go to it, and it. The numbers move from gray to black when it's done. So it's super simple to have somebody do and, uh, you know, makes your troubleshooting process with them a lot simpler. Right. So this is my new speed test. 
for most for most users. I don't think it tests upload, but it tests your your download speed. So, I, like I said, I think it's going to make it much harder for these companies to to cheat on the test. Finally, so now we just need uh, YouTube to step up its game and do something similar as well, and uh, and then incorporate it all in one page, and I think we'll be all set. Uh, okay, so the next one: why most unit testing is waste. I feel like I'm going to disagree with this. Go ahead, Carl. Yeah. So, uh, you know, one of the points of this article is there's a lot of times we write things that are just super simple to do. I mean, if you're writing a, a getter method or a setter method, I mean, there's not a lot that can go wrong with that. And if we're taking all of our time to, you know, write tests around this, this can get uh, pretty cumbersome. And a lot of times, you know, we make up a lot of architecture just for the sake of being able to write a test around it. Mm-hmm. And what uh, this person is saying, Test unit testing isn't useless, but we need to make sure that we're testing the right things. And I, yeah. and I know that you're a pr- huge proponent of testing as much as possible all the time. Well, I, yeah, I, I mean, I, I don't know about the, as much as possible. Um, you know, and now that I look at it, honestly, like the, the words being used by this guy, it says why most unit testing is waste. Okay. So I can, I can understand that. Um, so I, I kind of get where he's coming from. Like unit testing for unit testing sake is, is kind of silly, but I, I've, and we, we actually, we had, uh, this man, this would have been our, our episode from that conference last year. We had uncle Bob Martin on the show, you know, like kind of the, the father of uh, unit testing, or at least the adoptive father. And, um, what was, what was, um, you know, what I always say is, you know, whenever you're, I've used this as a tool whenever I'm trying to tackle a problem that is actually more complex than what I can figure out. I've used this as a tool in many cases to actually make it so I could solve that problem. So I actually at one point was writing, I was writing software for doing uh, airline crew scheduling and it was basically for like different appointment types and it was, it was like a calendaring thing, which I, I hope that if I had to write it today, like I, I could find some library that would handle most of this for me. But um, when I was writing that application, like, solving these really weird problems with appointments. It, it was just way too complex for, you know, to fit into my puny little brain. And I was actually able to write unit tests that were, you know, basically the requirements for the project. And then as I went on, <laughs> I have somebody like, I should have closed my blinds. Somebody <laughs> looking in my window. So <laughs> lesson learned. So, so as I was, you know, as I built up this list of requirements and then as I was writing my code, I knew I was always taking steps forward, never a step back. Whereas normally when I'm writing code without these crutches, without unit tests, what ends up happening is I add some code and guess what? It broke five other things, but I'm only, you know, I'm only trying out that thing in there. And as I move forward, my software just sucks. So that's why I'm such a huge fan of unit testing because I think it actually makes things simpler. And I've actually mentored people on this. I've sat down with them and they said, no, 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 this is going to take extra time. And I've sat with them and actually helped them write the tests first. And then they understood it. If you just, this is one of those things, it's just really hard to go out there and just start writing unit tests. Like you're going to have a bad time. Yeah. But Um, I I think what you're saying though, really kind of got to the spot where he said, you know, there are definitely spots where you do need to unit test. Like you said, if it's, if it's complex, if it's core, if it's core to your business, if, if you're going to stop making money, if this fails, you should, you should test that. Yeah. But I think, I think it just requires practice to know which, you know, where those investments make sense, just like anything else. I mean, where do you actually spend your time? And yes, if you, if you're spending all of your time writing tests on code that is really never going to fail, then that's pretty silly. Yeah. For, for example, I remember writing, you know, a repository layer where one of the entire layers was just mapping one object to another object. And really the tests were, did I call this method underneath? And did I, you know, did it convert it to the other object? It was just a lot yeah. of copy and pasting and really nothing ever went wrong with it. So it's one of those things. It's like, like you said, learning some of it's experiential learning what not to test, but you know, I think we have to have up front, uh, you know, in our minds that it's okay not to test everything. Cause no, that's a, that's a great test though, Carl. The one that you mentioned is amazing, right? Because the code to test ratio is just going to be, it's going to be high, right? Mm-hmm. So you might have a hundred lines of code that are mapping properties, which hopefully you're using some kind of library, but uh, let's take the case where you literally just wrote out every single line of code for every single property. And then in your unit tests, you just check like, Hey, are these two things equal? You know, as far uh, property wise, um, which that I would probably just have a loop in and it checks those objects. 
like, you know, end of, end of story. And then if you go back and you put in some kind of auto mapper or something like that, then your unit test is going to catch any possible errors. So I think that's an awesome use of a unit test. So anyway, Liz, I don't know. Are you a unit tester? Uh, you know, I only unit test when necessary. I'm really usually pretty lazy about it. <laughs> I, I was going to say, am I calling you out? You're calling me out as a bad unit tester here, largely because I'm a program manager, so I have to pretend like my quote quality matters only when it really matters. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I, I feel like unit testing, is, is it dying? I don't know. Like, I feel like it is too, because I, it's just, it, it's it's like a discipline that's been, it's been really difficult to keep up with the times as, as everything else in the world changes like you know sometimes you, you do have to like really bend over backwards to make this stuff work and, and you, know, you know then you just keep asking yourself is it worth it yeah i've been seeing uh at least among you know my friends and my other developers that i know people are just kind of throwing it at users and say hey you guys find the bugs for me i don't need to unit test this yeah we yeah. had we had james whitaker <laughs> on the podcast and that that was like his whole thing right and and in a lot of people have that attitude in a lot of different services i mean I, you know, I got to imagine like Facebook, they're probably not testing anything. They just, they roll it out. It goes out to like 0.0001% of their user base. Um, you know, exactly. people run into those bugs and then they, you know, roll it back and it goes back to the, you know, basically, you know, it, when, for unit testing, right. We like, we, we go to like a code snippet and we say, run this test and Facebook, they probably have it like so refined that they, they probably, instead of like running it locally, it does just deploy that code snippet. Exactly. To production. Exactly. I'm sure it does. <laughs> and then it, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's like a human red green uh, indicator. Uh, okay, so we probably beat that to death. Um, <laughs> Microsoft removes 260 character limit for NTFS path in new Windows 10 Insider Preview. So what's the deal here, Carl? Am I going to not have issues now with my Node Modules folder? So essentially, yes, but you still have to kind of change your pol- your local or group policy to do it at this point. So it, yeah. so it's not there out of the box, but yes, you can make a change and you won't run out of character limits. So I think okay. this is this is something you know it's kind of a small thing to talk about but I think it has a, a huge impact on developers. So why is it hidden behind group policy? Why? I don't know. <laughs> I'm, I'm asking I'm asking the one person on the call that doesn't work at Microsoft. <laughs> well, you see there was a long discussion, Jason. No. <laughs> yeah, we're we're listening to to Carl's feedback and and that's why we change it. No, I I have no idea. I wonder. I wonder if there's, uh, you know, any kind of unintended side effects. Yeah, I think that's a, you know that's a, a great reason why it's in the preview and behind that. So if if there is an issue, you've obviously opted into it, and then you know how to opt out. This is this is just like the Facebook testing we're talking about. So the people who opt in are basically testing it. No, I, I have I, honestly, I have like no inside idea. I wonder. I wonder if it is sort of um, in beta at this point. And, uh, and ultimately it won't be hidden behind group policy, but again, I have no clue. Um, so I should, uh, I, I should try this and, uh, and see, cause I, I, there's nothing more annoying than, you know, trying to delete a folder and it goes, Oh, the path is too long. <laughs> um, you know, cause your node modules folder, but anyway, I digress. Um, let's see here. Oh, I got a kick out of this. The backpack PC. <laughs> so did you see this Liz? i did see this and it made me laugh because i was like well i guess you can carry it on your back or if you want to use continuum and with not use a full pc you could just carry your phone in your pocket instead <laughs> yeah i didn't even think of this this is, a, this is a good contrast so so this is what you're up against Liz. yeah so, it's a pretty know, rough competition want, yeah if you want the full power of a pc <laughs> then you really should get a backpack pc <laughs> If you don't, you know, if you're one of these people that doesn't like 10 pounds hanging off your back, uh, then, you know, maybe you should uh, consider Continuum. So um, I don't know what to say about this other than I do have a little bit of a a story and I won't I won't name companies here. It's not Microsoft. Carl may or may not have worked there at one point, but he probably (laughs) never saw this. Uh, But, uh, you know, basically a consulting company that I used to work for, they um, they were pretty cheap with hardware. And, you know, we had some, some employees, some developers that only got desktops, which I I think is stupid for, for what you pay developers. Like just everybody should get a laptop if they want one. Right. So since they only had desktops, they occasionally had to go for training or to client sites. So whenever they would go to a client site, they had to take their desktop. And I didn't know such a thing existed, but apparently <laughs> this company knew about it. They actually had these backpack things where you could put a, a regular desktop computer into like backpack form. And then it would also have like, it was sort of like, you know, a sword 
where it was like your keyboard and then I don't know mouse went. So how did you carry your monitor around? Did they have like a monitor pocket no, for they you? They just carry that like in their hand. <laughs> it was <laughs> it was it was unbelievable. So it's like you have your entire setup and I don't know. Like the the increase in back insurance <laughs> there's no way that the the ROI was was good on this thing. I I just I don't get it at all. So I don't know, this whole idea seems crazy, but anyway, the idea is for VR headsets, but then people brought up a good point is that you, uh, you have to plug it in, right? I don't, does it doesn't have a battery? Does it Carl? Uh, I don't think it does. <laughs> so maybe, maybe they'll make like a battery leggings or something, you know, <laughs> <laughs> kind of like those scuba weights, but they'll go around your legs. <laughs> So I don't know. I don't know. I, I guess, you know, every product somebody's got to make. Um, so that's what's going on here. Uh, let's see here. Google Home. Uh, so this was something Google announced. How follow, how closely did you follow this, Carl? So, you know, I didn't listen to the announcements as they came out, but I did kind of follow this a little bit closely because uh, Alexa is pretty interesting. And this is a competitor to that. And, yeah. you know, I like the the voice-based assistants, and I'd really like to get one. Uh, this does sound like it does a lot of cool things, but I still can't get over the the kind of Google creep factor. Uh, yeah. Kind of a, an unre- unrelated but related story is I know quite a few uh, people that have uh, Android phones, and after just having conversations with people day-to-day, not having their phone up to their ear but, you know, in their pocket, later on that day they'll get, like, ads and Facebook ads and Google recommendations based upon what they were talking about. So Google is obviously already through the phone listening to everything you're saying, analyzing it and giving it is, back. Is that actually confirmed? I, it, I, it, well, I won't say it's, I, I, I want to be careful. Let's so, put a little asterisk here. We, so this we is anecdotal. I will say it's okay. anecdotal, okay. Okay. but there, there are, there are <laughs> some conversations that I've been a part of. And then I've seen ads that somebody has shown me on Facebook that, there's no way they could have served that ad without listening in. Okay. So <laughs> you heard it here from Carl. So I, and I've only heard more and more of these anecdotes. Okay. So this website is really annoying, by the way. Have you pulled this up? This home.google.com. So because it switches from the light to it the keeps dark, switching from like uh, day to night, it's really annoying. I have to close it. I can't stand it. But as, as a whole, the technology is still really interesting. What these kind yeah. of assistants can do for you. Yeah. So I want, and I, I have like no insider knowledge, but I, you know, I keep telling everybody like I want Cortana in one of these things because, uh, you know, Google is there now and, and their assistant is really good. Cortana is really good. I think Cortana is way, way, way better than Siri. So it would, this would just be, you know, <laughs> shoving Cortana into a tube would make a whole lot of sense. Um, one thing I do want to bring up too, I brought up, I found a page here. I was kind of curious, like how this relates to Alexa. So it says, uh, it has some of the advantages. So the first one is that Google's good at answering questions. Uh, yeah. Um, they've, you know, the good track record there. Um, and then also integrating into other services, um, as well as Chromecast, which is kind of interesting. So, you know, tell it to like play a YouTube video on my, uh, living room TV. Uh, that's kind of interesting. And, and I, we're finally getting to a point where things are more connected. So I'm just excited to see any of that happening period. And they have all the other home automation stuff too. So you can, I think they're slowly creeping into every aspect of your home, your Nest thermostats and your lights, your everything. Sometimes I forget that they, that they own Nest. I wonder though, I, I don't know how their company is organized because they, you know, Google like became Alphabet and I know Nest was one of the sub organizations. Yeah. So I'm wondering, I wonder what happens within the walls of Google. Like since those are, um, you know, I don't, I don't know if this device is, is a, is a separate organization and then, you know, are they required to use each other? Cause I know like back, you know, years ago when I worked at GE, um, we, you know, GE is really a company of companies and there was actually, there was like no requirement and there was no incentive for GE to use GE stuff. Huh. So you would commonly see, you know, which is totally different at Microsoft. Like, you know, we try, it's like, Hey, you know, it definitely evaluate everything. And if something else is better, like use it, but please like at least evaluate the Microsoft stuff. So one, they, one thing that I do know that happens with this home is they, yeah. they are implementing Nest's uh, open thread, uh, mm technology yeah. so that th- yeah. there is a well, little bit in there even if it's not a full integration there is at least that communication layer there 
Yeah, I expect the integration. I'm just wondering, like, you know, if, if those people have, if they're in the same meetings, you know what I mean? Right. Like, how do we, how do we, how do we make the whole big picture? So it's just, a, I have no idea. Um, anyway, enough speculation. Uh, learning to play Mario, an exercise of neural programming. So I, I threw this one in last minute, so I know you didn't have a chance to watch this, Jason. But what this guy shows is uh, everybody's familiar with uh, Mario, the original one. And he has like, like, like the game, like right? the game. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> From Nintendo back in the day. Yeah. And he uh, creates a program that through neural programming techniques learns to play the game. And he actually shows through the video, not, not the code or anything, but he shows like how it plays the game, how it learns. He even has a little visualization and explains what that visualization is of how the, the program decides to, hit a button and when, and kind of shows that it is a learning process. You know, a lot of times you're like, how can a computer lo- learn? This is just a, a short six minute video. Well, you might not learn like the details of how to program this. You'll at least understand the concepts on a way deeper level. So if this is something you've been interested in learning, it's a nice short video with a topic that we can all relate to on uh, yeah, neural programming. Does he throw like new levels at it then? No, he doesn't show new levels, but what he, he shows is like, how, how you essentially, cause it's not learning like that level, right? It is learning the level and in the process oh, on how to play. Cool. So at the beginning, it doesn't even know what the buttons do. It just knows that you right, have left, right. right, up, down, A and B, which is cool. But what I'm, what I'm wondering is like, if I throw a new level at it, is it going to like recognize those elements and then play that level well, or is it going to be like, Whoa, the game totally changed on me. I, I, I want to believe. I think that you could take the endpoint. <laughs> I want to believe he did it the right I way. So I, I, I'm qualifying like before, you know. That's Carl's. That's Carl's quote of the day. Yes, I want to believe, want to believe <laughs> that you could take that that last generation that you've trained up and use that as the the first input input for that yeah. for that new level. Okay, I want to believe too, Carl. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well that's enough of the news. Let's get in. Let's let's talk to Liz because because uh, we got such cool stuff here. Um, and I think we have some interesting questions. In fact, some of the questions I didn't, I didn't even know that they were good questions until Carl <laughs> came up with them. <laughs> good job, Carl. Yeah. So for the, for the few people that actually don't know what continuum is, can you tell us what it is? Sure thing. Yeah. So continuum, um, essentially gives you a PC in your pocket. Uh, in that you can take any windows mobile device, connect that mobile device to any screen, a monitor, TV, even another PC and power your own Windows PC-like experience on that display uh, from your phone while you actually continue to use your phone just like you normally do. Mm -hmm. Uh, So essentially, you're you're getting two devices in one, and those devices are really optimized for the screen that they're running on. Okay. Yeah, so I can... Which is really cool. I, I've heard of this popped in my head, but I've I've heard like people that they 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 get done browsing like Reddit on their computer and then they go to their phone and do the same thing. So exactly. you, could, like, you could continue to do that. Yeah, the more awkward parts when you're browsing Reddit on your phone and then you get to work and try and be productive and your Reddit <laughs> uh, your Reddit browser shows up on the big screen. <laughs> oh, interesting, interesting. But yeah, so basically. Yeah, being able to, you know, I, my my email signature up my phone is sent from my pocket supercomputer. So yep. I'm basically using my pocket supercomputer as a pocket as a supercomputer that's not in my pocket anymore. There you go. Yeah, <laughs> very cool. So, do all apps because these are phone apps that we're putting elsewhere, or even actually, they're it's not even limited to the phone, is it? Uh, so today, uh, we support universal Windows platform apps on the connected display. Uh, so basically, any app that developers have written for Windows 10 that runs on Windows Mobile should work on that display. Um, I do nuance that they have to work on Windows Mobile because some developers have submitted uh, universal apps that only run on the desktop. And, oh, um, and every, yeah, we don't have I, I access would, to those. Yeah. I was going to ask you about that. So my, my phone app can't just say like, you know... Uh, you know, please connect me to Continuum. <laughs> uh, so, or, or could it do that? It, technically? it depends on the app. So, the, Continuum is really like a system level projection mode. Um, mm-hmm. So, generally, people connect at the system level, but it does integrate really well with um, a couple of multi-screen APIs, uh, such as the Cast API and the Projection Manager API, that allow you as a developer to both connect to external screens and power kind of multi-screen experiences across the phone and the connected display. Okay, so I could do that. So it's it's literally yeah. just I couldn't set the flag in the AppX package to say this is only desktop. Then it won't work on there. Uh, 
you would have to set a, you'd have to package the app uh, and for only the desktop, basically when you're it, uh, before you send it to the store. Infragistics, Ultimate UX and UI tools, and Enterprise Mobility Solutions, SharePlus and Report Plus, enable high-performance apps on any device, faster data insights, simplified collaboration, and market-leading security, all backed by comprehensive support. With Infragistics' Ultimate UX and UI Development Toolkit, you can ensure mission-critical applications delivering a superior user experience on the desktop, web, and native device environments for iOS and Android. With the latest BI tools, wow your users with dashboards providing the data insights that they need when and where they need it, all at a low total cost of ownership. Try it today. Download a free trial at infragistics.com and follow them for the latest updates in UX and UI development, reporting, and collaboration at Infragistics on Twitter. And remember, each week, if we pick your comment on the show, you will get a free copy of Infragistics Ultimate UX and UI Toolset. So to you know, get back to my original question. So I have a UWP app. <laughs> so if I don't do anything else, it'll still show up in Continuum, correct? Right. So by default, if you have a UWP app uh, that runs on Windows Mobile, it will show up in Continuum and be accessible to users. Uh, if you, for some reason, wanted to opt out of Continuum, um, you would have to flip a bit in your manifest, in your app manifest. Um, and I'm, I'll, I'll plug uh, with these guys at the end. I'll try and get a link to a blog that gives you details on that. But uh, you can change a bit in your manifest to, to block yourself from Continuum. And essentially, that means that your app will be grayed out in the start menu. Uh, and when the user tries to click on it, they will basically see a message that say, sorry, this app isn't ready yet. Why, why would somebody do that? Uh, the main reason people are doing it uh, is, well, we've seen two, two reasons. The first is they have developed their app for phone, and they didn't ever expect it to run on a connected display. So whenever they put it up there, it doesn't look the way they want it to look or work the way they want it to work. Okay. Um, and so that really only oh, happens for... It could be, yeah, because they, they could like make the window bigger, right? So, so really, the app would be like, whoa, you have a gigantic phone. Exactly. And so anybody who's thinking with the blinders on just about phone, um, that's a good way for them to either take take time to finish developing their app or just block it all together if they don't plan to ever leave uh, build for anything bigger than a phone. Um, the second reason we've seen people do it is like some of the, the top media apps in the world have a lot of licensing issues on big screens and small screens. So they might uh -huh. block services based on if they're on the big screen or block their app altogether. Oh, I gotcha. So you said uh, another thing that you can do when you're in Continuum is uh, deal with some of these screen APIs. So uh, what, what I'm imagining when you say that, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, is, you know, like if I wanted to recreate PowerPoint, I could have, you know, my phone connected to a projector and that be the, you know, what displays the PowerPoint to everybody, everybody, but my phone could have like the presentation notes. And exactly. And PowerPoint actually does do that today. You as a developer could go do something very similar to that. Okay. That, that's very cool. That's awesome. So, it, as as a developer, if I want to do something similar like that, it sounds like it wouldn't take a whole lot. Right. So the Projection Manager API, which essentially allows you as a developer to create two independent views that run on each screen, uh, one on the phone, one on the connected display, you can customize those any way you want. And the Projection Manager API is a universal API. So anything you do uh, with this API on the desktop or on the phone will automatically accrue to either platform. Yeah, I'm just picturing, though, myself giving a presentation now, and I keep looking at my phone <laughs> and, and, like, using my phone while I'm talking, and I'm guessing that would be kind of annoying. Well, one thing you have to remember, too, Jason, that the uh, HoloLens is uh, is that, so you could walk around and just have it, and you could have your, uh, yeah. your notes hovering in front of you as you give your... Yeah. So for anybody who's just audio only, you know, Carl just pulled out his HoloLens, <laughs> which every single time he came over to my house, he neglected to bring, and I have yet to try one. Yeah, so. yeah, you just got to move back from Redmond now, Jason. I'm not, I'm not bitter. <laughs> well, next time you come out here, you need to bring it. So I, I, I could probably try that. Okay. Um, <laughs> I wonder what that'll look like on an X-ray. Um, so the, the usual can, I, you know, I, I have this slide deck and one of the things that I show is, is the continuum slide or the, 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 the picture of continuum. It shows a phone and it shows a screen and then there's this box there and it shows all these wires. 
And actually the last time I did this, it was the funniest reaction because it was, uh, it was some executives, you know, that are just yeah. not, not quite as technical. And they were like, is that the computer? <laughs> you know what? We get that took- question all the time. Okay. Yeah. okay. <laughs> so it took a while. They're just, I'm just like, no, that's like how you hook the phone up. And they're like, we don't get it. And, and it took a while. So I guess the picture I have is like, do you actually need that box? Uh, no, you need, you need some sort of box, but not that specific box. Uh, yeah. So there's kind of three main ways you can uh, connect to a second screen from your from mm-hmm. your mobile device. The first is through that box, and the one that we usually talk about is the Microsoft Display Adapter, and mm-hmm. that essentially works just like any other laptop dock works. Uh, you just plug kind of a USB Type-C cord from your phone into the dock, and then plug the dock into uh, a TV or a monitor via HDMI or DVI, and that just sends the video to that screen. Um, mm-hmm. Just It's just kind of a pass-through box. The other benefit yeah. of that box is that there's USB ports on it, so you can do things like connect a keyboard and mouse, external storage, other peripherals like speakers, etc. Um, so that the, the benefit of that box is that because it's wired, charges your phone, and mm-hmm. it um, is more performant. Oh, oh there you go. I was, like, I was like, why is Carl like you know flipping? <laughs> I should have brought all my walls. toys. I didn't realize we we're doing video. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I would have held a bunch of stuff up. Yeah. So uh, that's the Microsoft Display Dock. Uh, the other option uh, is to connect wirelessly, and you can mm-hmm. connect wirelessly to any Miracast endpoint. Um, and those Miracast endpoints take the form of little pucks or boxes similar yeah. to the size of the Microsoft Display like, Dock. Like you probably have some already. Like I, I, most TVs today have Miracast built into them. The Roku. Oh, the Roku, yeah, the, exactly. Yeah, because that's the thing. Like, I started all of a sudden seeing, like, yeah, Roku, yep. um, Amazon Fire TV shows up, and then also my Xbox shows up. So I, I have, believe like, Chromecast four. as well. Yeah. Uh, no, so Chromecast is not uh, doesn't operate on Miracast; it oh, operates okay. on the Dial protocol. So um, media developers Ooh. can use Dial to create multi-screen experiences, but mm. uh, we don't support Continuum on that. Okay. Okay. Uh, the I, only yeah, I no idea. the only nuance for Miracast is that uh, we developed a series of firmware improvements uh, within the last year to make sure that you had really low latency for mouse and keyboard over wireless connections. Mm-hmm. Um, and a majority of dongles on the market today don't support those. So um, we do have a list of recommended devices on uh, our Continuum website, uh, including our own Microsoft Wireless Display Adapter and the Action Tech Screen Beam Pro. Those devices have, by and large, the best up-to-date firmware that'll give you the best performance on over wireless connections. Okay. So there shouldn't be a whole lot of latency with that? Right. With those, it should feel very close to a wired connection. Okay. Anything else that doesn't have those firmware updates, we can't guarantee the performance for. Okay. I gotcha. Um, And the third thing you can connect to uh, is uh, you can actually now, uh, with the anniversary update, project to over the top of any Windows 10 PC um, oh, I did not know that. And so, uh, basically, any P- they have to it has to be Wi-Fi enabled. That's really the only criteria. Um, and that's really great if you want to show somebody something really quick on their laptop, but don't want to have to like email them your file, have them open it, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. Um, so, is that like auto, Like, what does that look like? Is that just turned on? Is that acting as like a Miracast server? What, what's that look like? So you'll have to go kind of turn make your PC discoverable. Uh, which okay. there's a setting uh, on the Continuum settings page coming in the anniversary update that will allow you to make your PC discoverable. And then it will show up just like any other Miracast endpoint. Okay. Um, and your projection will just kind of pop up in a window over the top of that PC. Okay. Is it using like Wi-Fi Direct or something? What, yep. So what? Okay. I was going to say, why does the machine need Wi-Fi? But it, because it's using that. Okay. Yeah, that exactly. Sense. Okay. Um, I don't, I, Carl, you have a note in here about uh, looking good with a dock phone, but oh, this is no. is this about the application itself? Yeah. Okay. So I'll I'll just read that for you, Jason. What yeah. what what <laughs> technologies do I need to make you know my app inside Continuum look great? Yeah. Yeah. Great question. So I I mean in general there are no APIs that are really or tools that are unique to Continuum. All you should have to do is develop a universal Windows platform app um, that runs on Windows Mobile with some of the adaptive techniques and tools that are available to everyone for general UWP building. Um, And it should just work. And we've seen a majority of apps just work. Um, I'll walk through a few tools, though, that are really helpful. there's a few adaptive tools, like the relative panel class that allows you to position elements relative to each other and the container in your UI. 
Um, that makes it really easy for those elements to reflow nicely on any screen. Um, there's really good wrap grid controls that make, um, like if you have a bunch of UI items next to each other, then you can use wrap grid controls to make those elements wrap really nicely to any screen size. Uh, the split view control allows you to make things like hamburger menus that are open or closed depending on screen size. And there's just a bunch of these adaptive tools that are available um, for you to be a pew building that are really great, especially in XAML. And there's also tools for web developers, um, et cetera. Um, I think the question we get most frequently is from developers who want to build uh, either a new view for Continuum or do something unique to Continuum that they wouldn't do on a desktop. And they actually want to be able to say, hey, when am I specifically on the phone and when am I specifically on the connected screen? And the best way to do that today is to use the user interaction mode API. So this API today returns two values, uh, either touch or mouse. And mm -hmm. those two values kind of describe the type of shell that your app is currently running in. Okay. So if your app is running on the phone, that API will always return touch because you're running on a, a device that's primarily focused on touch. And if your app is running on the connected display, then that uh, API will return mouse because your app is running on a kind of mouse-driven operating system on that screen. Uh, so that's a great way for you to just check and say, okay, am I on the phone or am I on the connected display? Okay, so I'm just kind of I'm kind of thinking through this. So if I I have an app. And, um, you know, all of a sudden Continuum has come along. I, I want to start investigating that. So I can obviously take, I can take that application, it, it, assuming I've developed it properly. Mm -hmm. make, I mean, it should be adaptive, responsive, all that, like, right. you know, like you should just be doing that anyway, right? Exactly. If, I, if I've done a good job, you should just be able to hook that up and bring it over to your other screen and use it. I think like the mail app is a pretty good example of that, right? Where yes. it's the same application and it, it actually looks totally different. It just takes advantage. Well, the, so, you know, they, it's just written in such a way that it takes advantage of whatever it's on. And then you also said the other thing that you can do is you can actually do stuff on both screens, right? Right. So I can, you know, for, I, does the mail app do that or does it, is it just run on one or the other or does it have some? The mail app doesn't. Um, okay. But you, like you said, PowerPoint PowerPoint does. does. Okay. Yeah. So PowerPoint so has I a have, projection thing. So it sounds like I have like all the options in, a, in the world available to me. I mean, it sounds yes. like you can do whatever the heck you want. Okay. You really awesome. can do whatever you want, uh, either on one screen or both screens. Okay, cool. So are there any big gotchas about adaptive design or pitfalls about it that I might fall into? Um, I think the biggest pitfall that we've seen people fall into, and I think it's just because this concept is so novel, um, is that we're seeing a lot of developers building and submitting two separate packages for phone and desktop to the store. And on Continuum, because we are just an extension of Windows Mobile, we don't get any of the benefits of the desktop uh, app package that has been submitted to the store separately. We actually just really see the phone package. And so I would say that anything that you do um, for the desktop OS, I would just make sure you include that in a mobile package as well if you do choose to have two separate packages. Um, because otherwise, users will just see kind of a blown up version of your phone app on the connected display. Mm. And if you've already done the work to make your desktop yeah. app look great, then why not just put it in your phone package or even go as far to uh, build one package for the universal device family? Okay. So what are some really great examples of Continuum apps? I mean, I, to me, what always comes to mind, the mail app is obviously one of them because it's like, it's the same thing. But I, I, used, I used to think of those as two different apps, and now I think it was the same. Um, sounds like... Um, you know, PowerPoint has also embraced this. Any other really good examples? Yeah, I mean, the whole Office suite is really great. Um, they did work to make sure that you had a really good mouse-driven productivity experience. Um, and the Edge app is also great for browsing the web. Um, even though you're running on a mobile device, they've done work to make sure that you get um, like desktop websites and all the desktop functionality that you would expect oh, on a PC. A, um, a couple of third-party apps that are really fun. Uh, are really nice. Dropbox developed a great universal app, works great with a mouse and keyboard on Continuum. Um, there's a app called Yoga Studio that built some really wonderful multi-screen experiences with your yoga routines that integrates nicely with um, Outlook Calendar. Uh, Hulu has a great universal app that looks and works perfectly on Continuum. Hmm. Uh, say, there's a bunch. About, what about like uh, like Netflix? Have they done anything? Because I because I could see yeah those <laughs> those apps. Um, you know, I'm just, I keep thinking of like the hotel room scenario. Yeah. So Netflix actually has not launched their universal app on mobile yet. Uh, Hulu yeah. has, I know also some, um, Sohu video is kind of a, is a very popular, uh, 
media app in China and they have a universal app and all of those we're st- we're starting to see more and more of those work out and uh, the hotel scenario is definitely real. Uh, I have mm-hmm. been traveling quite a bit and I bring I try and bring like only my phone with me uh, when I'm feeling really well, bold. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it seems like a like a duty that you'd have, right? It, do- it is a duty <laughs> I've had, but I've actually found it remarkable how many I've tr- I've been to five different hotels in the last 3 months, like 2 or 3 months and uh Every hotel, I've been able to just walk in, plug an HDMI uh, Miracast dongle into the TV, and use that TV just like a PC. And every yeah. one of them, it's totally awesome. Well, that's the point in which you find out like how much money they've spent on their TV. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> You're always really disappointed when they don't have one it's, with an HDMI port. Well, actually, so so I guess my experience, because I've checked that a lot, and I actually keep like a really long HDMI cable in my in my bag. Yeah. And, and what I found is it's like pretty universal at like, you know, your most like business class hotels, yeah. like they have HDMI in, but the, the quality of the screens is just like across the board. I mean, you, it, it, it looks okay for like TV and then you plug in and, and, um, I don't think I'm running into many like 720 P, but even if it's 1080, like I don't, they're just garbage. I mean, the, the hotels, I mean, yeah. they got to buy what 500 screens, right? So they're going to so buy gonna, the crappiest ones the they, can buy. they can And it's a little unfortunate. So I actually hope that continuum will also, uh, incentivize hotels to have better TVs. <laughs> yeah, I, I hope so too. Cause I think more people will use them as, as screens. I just think it's a good idea. And it's just so much more convenient even just to, if I just want to watch Netflix. More convenient yeah. to pull out my phone to do that rather than having to pull out my laptop connected yep. and all that. And then maybe we'll start to see Miracast too in in the some of the higher end hotels. That'd be great too. Yeah, I mean it's becoming very prominent in new TVs that are coming out. So I imagine as TV upgrades start happening in a lot of hotels, it will become much more common. Yeah, I think the only thing that we need as ourselves being developers is we need like Visual Studio Code as a UWP app. Yeah. So. Uh, the, there's one way you can get Visual Studio today. Uh, if it's kind of techy and enterprisey, but uh, we do have a universal remote desktop application, uh, and so with that you can actually remote into a PC or use services like Azure Remote App um, to access apps stored in the cloud by your business or yourself, um, and access those and use those on the go. So I can actually pull up Visual Studio either through my PC or Azure Remote App. Uh, via Continuum and write and edit code in it. The only issue is dealing with some of like the emulators and you can actually obviously deploy to a phone from a <laughs> VM, but uh, whatever. <laughs> um, but you can you can get some work done. Obviously, we're not the, all the way there yet, but uh, uh, we do aspire to enable the full Visual Studio scenario. Well, I'm just, I'm just thinking like VS Code, Carl, like the, remember that originally, and to this day, I believe, I guess I haven't looked, runs in a browser. Um, that was all web code that they ended up putting in Electron Shell. So theoretically, somebody could take that code and put that into a UWP app. Make a nice uh, WinJS app. Yeah. Go for it, Carl. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we're, all, we're all looking at you, Carl. Because <laughs> I have 28 hours in a day. <laughs> yeah. yeah, don't we yeah. all? Yeah. So, you know, I remember when Continuum was first announced, uh, Build 2015. I had talked yeah. to a CTO later on that day that said, that he wants to like enable all of his salespeople to not have laptops and just have a phone. So have you heard about any companies actually setting up continuum workstations like this? Absolutely. Yes. Uh, I'll give you guys a couple of examples. I probably can't say the name of the companies, but um, That's fine. anyway, so that, <laughs> there's one. <laughs> uh, so one fun example is there is a uh, very large city police department deploying phones um, and docks in all of their squad cars. Uh, and so they are actually just, they're manning every squad car in the city with um, kind of a mobile docking s- s- uh, station and giving them all Lumia 950s. Um, you know, I never, I never, you bring, you actually bring up a good point that I don't even think we mentioned. I mean, if you are a company like that, that has a specialized application, mm-hmm. all like any problems that, that you might have with this completely go away because you're completely in control of 
the one application you want to run. Exactly. So, you know, as long as you're not processing like gigantic videos or 3d models, like 99.999% of applications will have no issue running on your phone. I mean, the software that runs in a police car would easily run on there. So what a great example. Yeah. We found it. That's that one was, is really fun. Um, there's also a construction company who is deploying 950s to all of their kind of construction workers and managers. Mm. Um, and that way they can have a device in the field with them. They obviously work mobily most of the time. And then instead of coming back to the office to record um, any progress and do real, uh, do kind of real computer work, they don't have to log on to a different computer. They can just connect their phone to a screen, plug it in and uh, access the data they've been putting into the device all day without having to transfer it anywhere. Yeah. Um, and then the third uh, co- kind of company that has uh, is adopting right now is um, uh Basically, they have a, a workforce that's, or a sales workforce that is mobile like 50% of the time. And so their sales team is all being given 950s and they're kind of tearing out all of the offices in one of their buildings and just putting <laughs> touchdown stations in this like massive open hangar space um, with a, like a million of the Microsoft display docs. And so oh, wow. they'll just, people will just be able to walk in, sit down, plug their phone in, do what they need to do on, a, on the PC. PC air quotes, uh, and walk out. How how much does one of those docks cost? So the dock itself is about a hundred bucks. So like less than a regular dock. Yes, exactly. (laughs) I mean, that's that's what we're up against, right? Is like a regular computer dock. So, I mean, that seems like nothing now. Yeah. And a monitor. I mean, I just, I was just in a store and I saw like your run of the mill 1080p monitor and it was, it was $99. Yes. So we're, we're at $200 and then throw a mouse and keyboard in there. We're at like let's say 250. Exactly. Uh, and then you have to have a phone anyway. <laughs> so that's, that's a, that's a really interesting solution. Yeah. And the enterprises love it because typically they have to deploy a phone and a laptop to their, yeah. all of the workers. And now they can just deploy a phone, uh, yeah. which is much easier to upgrade later as well. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. Okay. Um, so let's say that I make my app continuum enabled. Like how do I tell my customers that, Hey, this is, this is awesome and continuum. So the best things you can do today are um, basically tag your app as a Windows 10 app in the store, which it should just do automatically, I believe. Um, and then uh, we basically encourage developers to write that they are continuing enabled in their content or descriptions for their okay. application. Um, we are working with the store to kind of develop a continuum category, but we haven't found the best way that we want to do that yet. So uh, hopefully we'll be able to send out some sort of newscast when that happens. Okay. Uh, another thing that would be really cool is kind of like how uh, live tiles were advertised for a while with a special badge. It would be cool if a, there oh. could be a continuum badge. That is a cool idea. So is there anything else that we haven't covered or anything else you want to share what's coming up in uh, anniversary update? Um, good question. So we are heads down kind of planning our next release of Continuum. Uh, in the anniversary update, we made a few small updates to uh, Continuum. Uh, two main things. One, we uh, added a lock screen. So you will now be able to unlock from the connected display if you guys have used it and haven't been able to do that. Mm. Um, and then we're also um, adding a task resumption feature. So uh, when you undock and redock, you'll now be able to pick up where you left off. Uh, previously, we kind of tore down your session and uh, you had to start <laughs> over. So that'll be exciting for everyone. Um, other than that, I can't really give you guys too much more info, but our, I think our goal in the next uh, next major release is to kind of make, make Continuum feel uh, and act even more like a PC than it already does and make sure yeah. that we can focus on getting all of the kind of apps that developers are, are building on our platform. Yeah. Yeah. I had never really, I know I said this before, but I had never really thought about, <clears throat> excuse me, that like the specialized, you know, companies that have the application that their, that their workers use. I mean, it seems like it just seems like a, a slam dunk for those types of scenarios. So that, that's pretty cool. Yeah, exactly. And, um, the other thing we love is the kind of new emerging prevalence of web-based apps because that also yeah. transfers really, really well to Continuum. Yeah, it just works. Yep. Cool. Okay, Carl, looks like you have a couple dev tips of the week. Yes. So the first one is a Visual Studio ex- extension written by Mads Christensen. He writes, I think, one a day. And uh, <laughs> this one is to automate making image sprites. 
So if you're doing uh, web work or you uh, anything where you're creating image sprites and wanting to access them, um, it also produces like the less SAS and CSS to do that all. It's it's pretty full featured. You can do pings, JPEGs, and GIFs. Um, it, it can have multiple DPI resolutions. It does that all for you. So if that's something you're interested in, check out this extension. And the other dev tip this week that I have is a fun prank to play on your fellow developers. It's a Chrome extension. <laughs> it's a Chrome extension that will disable copy and paste from stackoverflow.com. <laughs> so three weeks ago, I installed this on Liz's computer. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry about that. Sad, sad. <laughs> that's, Wondering that's, what was going on over here. Oh, my God. That would... You, you know that would what, be though? so infuriating. Yeah, yeah. Well, it happens in like phone apps every once in a while too. Yeah. Where it's like something you want. You're just like copy. Ah. So I can't imagine on the desktop that would that would really drive me crazy. What it should do? Like they they should let you like copy it, but then like paste it as a picture or something. <laughs> <laughs> Which I oh, man, I actually had that issue. So I think somebody did that to me. Um, <laughs> uh, okay, so that's all you have for the dev tips. Yes. I mean, two is pretty good. Uh, so I'm, I'm going to have to use that one later today. Yeah. Okay, Liz. So we play a game on here. Uh-oh. It's for kids, but, you know, we're all kids. So I need you to pick a number between one and four inclusive. Three. Three. Let's see what we got here. Uh, I already used that three. Let me find a new three. <laughs> uh, okay, here we go. <laughs> Would you rather lick the computer keyboards at a public library or lick the bench at a downtown bus stop? The bench. The bench. I yeah. That that's. <laughs> yeah, you you have the sun beating on it, hopefully, and maybe some rain. So because I like cringed at the keyboards, but the bench, I'm just like yeah, whatever. Uh, let me. I don't. No, I don't have my marker. So I got right. the cards. You got a dry erase marker behind you, Jason. The marker is inserted. Yeah. Well, I don't know if that's. Per- I'll I'll cross it off here in a minute. Okay, Carl, I'll pick a number. I'll, I'll take number two. Number two. This one has a number two. <laughs> would you rather bang your funny bone five times in a row until it's not funny anymore? <laughs> uh, however that works or listen to somebody scrape their nails down a chalkboard for 20 minutes you know i don't mind the chalkboard nails so uh i, I would rather do that than inflict pain upon myself i'm sweating just thinking about the chalkboard Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah but the funny i mean like ow yeah, yeah okay that's a lot Tough questions. To yeah. Well, that's the whole point. We're asking the questions on the MSF show. That <laughs> the ones that really matter. matter. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Liz. So where can people find you if they want to learn uh, more from you and more about this topic? So uh, you guys can find me on Twitter. Uh, my handle is at Liz underscore Threlkeld. Hopefully my name will be somewhere on there and uh, somewhere on this cast. Uh, you can find me on LinkedIn. Uh those probably are two the, the two best avenues. I don't know okay. if you guys give out email addresses, but you can have that too if you want it. <laughs> uh, no, that's not. People can reach out through Twitter. Good, let's, good. let's give you let's give you a little bit of a shield there. And Carl, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at Carl Schweitzer, and you can find me at whytechie.com or on Twitter at twitter.com/whytechie. So, Liz, thank you so much for coming on here and talking to us about Continuum. That was it was super enlightening. I really appreciate it. Good. Thank you, guys. 